search it, you're only going to find one people group who still makes shed blood sacrifices. Uh, It's in Israel. It's at the foot of Mount Gerizim in uh, the old Shechem, right where the destroyed uh, Samaritan temple was. Uh, Shechem is uh, an old city that was right in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal which are both uh, really close together. At, at one point during the, where the, the bottom of both of them are, at one point it's like 500 yards apart. And another part it's, it's a little wider. It's a natural amphitheater there in the valley of Shechem because of the mountains. And that's where Moses commanded the people to go in Deuteronomy 28 to proclaim the blessings and the cursings of the law. And it was interesting because Moses told uh, the people to set up an altar of uncut stones and to make shed blood sacrifices on the mountain of Ebal where the curses were supposed to be read, right? Blessings were supposed to be read from the mountain of Gerizim, right? The, the curses are supposed to be read from the mountain of Ebal. And it's, again, it's a big amphitheater, natural amphitheater God gave them so they could all be heard. Well, God said, set up an altar on the mountain of Ebal. And you say, well, why wouldn't he say set up a, a shed blood sacrifice altar on the mountain of, of blessings, the mountain of Gerizim? Well... Because he knew that though the commandments and the blessings were from Mount Gerizim, the people were going to help me sin and deserve the curses. Therefore, the shed blood sacrifice was established at the foot of Mount Ebal. Joshua brought them into the promised land and he faithfully carried this out. Well, nowadays we have uh, the Samaritan people. They're about 800 strong still. They've traditionally been doing a um, shed blood sacrifices there on their new year. Every year, you could punch it up on Google later. Please don't now. (laughs) And uh, it's quite fascinating. Even the uh, religious Jews from Jerusalem come up and watch. They don't participate But they watch because the Jews haven't done shed blood sacrifices since the temple was destroyed. But they're making, the Samaritans are making the shed blood sacrifices on Mount Gerizim. Which a human logic would think, well this is where the blessings are. This is where the commandments of God are. I'm going to make them on this side. But not recognizing their sin. And they're under the curse and their need for atonement. And even an atonement that has already been accomplished. Mm, That we know of. Let's look at the book of Hebrews, please. I want you to think deeply today, if you could. Put on your thinking caps. 
This is not going to be a, a message for uh, any of us to think lazily. So put on your thinking caps, get your pen out, write notes down. We're going to be digging in a little bit. Hebrews nine twenty two. The book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew, a Jew, two Jews. It's such a blessing for us because it unpacks how the New Testament gospel relates with the Old Testament law and gospel promises. So it's really helpful for us to understand the Old Testament ceremonies and, and prophets and pictures and types of Christ compared to the reality. Now in chapter 9, it's talking about uh, the worship in the earthly tabernacle and how that pointed us to the greater heavenly tabernacle, the actual heavenly uh, throne of Christ, his great high priestly work. And then when you come down to verse 22, he said, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Uh, Moses wrote in the Old Testament, uh, sacrificial uh, system and uh, the law said that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. You say, what do you mean nearly? Well, some things had to be cleansed with water and with fire. So he qualifies that and then he comes to an absolute truth. And he says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's a big one, isn't it? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And you say, well, hold on. I forgive people all the time, and I don't have to shed their blood first. Well, it's not talking about you and your relationships with human beings. It's talking about our relationship toward God. And it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You cannot receive forgiveness from God without shed blood. Present. Uh, in some sense. And that's what we want to do. We want to dig into that truth. Why? First of all, why? Why does God say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I, I, I want to dig into a couple reasons. Um, first of all, in Revelation 13, 8, it talks about, uh, again, write, write some of these down. You're not going to be able to turn to every verse. In Revelation 13, 8, it talks about uh, names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. In Revelation 17, 8, again, it says names were written in the book of life in the Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. 2 Timothy 1, 9 says this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. We have to remember that God, the planner and architect of the house of redemption, was wise and planned, pre-planned everything. 
before the creation of the world that he was going to carry out in time and space. When I tell people that about election and predestination and God pre-planning everything, I asked them, I said, if you were going to build a house, you had the money for it, wouldn't it be wise for you to plan things, to get an architect, to choose your builders, to choose your architect? And Well, of course it would. Well, do you think God isn't going to plan what he's going to do? So, uh, the first answer, why, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, because God planned it that way. He planned that he would allow man to fall, and he would promise a redeemer. He would bring the sacrificial shed blood system that all pointed to the Lord of Jesus Christ. He planned that the Son of God would become a man, fulfill the whole law, die in our stead, in our place as our substitute, rise from the grave and conquer death, and be exalted to the highest place, and bring us to eternal glory. God pre-planned everything. And as we know, he elected vessels of mercy and elected to pass over others and leave them to themselves. So first of all, why is this true that without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness? Because God planned it that way. What are you going to do? He's God. Second reason. Uh, God said in Genesis, as far as time and space goes, to Adam, he commanded him to rule over everything. He was the representative of all mankind and the king of the world. God commanded him in Genesis 2:16 and 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You have free will. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, help me, you will surely die. And in the Hebrew, it's emphatic, dying you will die. God said that. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. As we know, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They instantly, spiritually died. They started physically dying. The law of sin or the law of entropy entered the world, and they deserved eternal damnation at that very point. Well, if God was going to be strictly just, there had to be a guilty party die that day. Or a substitute and a promise hmm, of one coming who would be able to die in their stead. That's the second reason. The third reason there is, is uh, God, God made a promise. And, and not just did he make a promise, but he brought the, the shed blood. And the actual lamb that was slain in Genesis 3.21 was uh, the substitute. Satisfied God's temporal uh, judgment, pointing to a greater redeemer. And somebody might ask, well, how do you know that, that God actually started the sacrificial system in Genesis 3, right after the fall and the promise? 
I want to look with you. I want you to look with me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Genesis chapter 3. First, let's look at the promise. Remember, Adam forfeited the throne when he sinned. Who did God allow to step in there as the new king of this world, the new spiritual father over fallen mankind, and the prosecuting attorney? Satan. The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. Let's look and see what God says to Satan in the hearing of Adam and the woman in Genesis 3.15. We've dug into this before, so we'll just touch on it. God says to Satan, I will put enmity. I will make enemies, Satan, between you and the woman. I'm going to save the woman. And between your offspring and hers, I'm going to give her a godly offspring. He, one of those godly offspring, will do what? Crush your head. And you will strike his heel. God says there, Satan, you thought you ruined everything? Guess what? I'm going to save the woman. I'm going to produce godly offspring through her, even to save her someday. He's going to be a male. He's going to be a he. He's going to be strong enough to crush your head and defeat you for him and his offspring. And you'll get a piece of him. You'll strike his heel. Hmm. Then we see, let's go forward in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's the curse on womankind. You're going to have painful cursed childbirth and rearing. That implies also. And of course, she's going to want to rule over the husband in the household, where the pants in the family, and the man's going to want to harshly rule her instead of a uh, loving uh, servant leadership by the man and a humble submission by the wife. Uh, the roles are going to be cursed and perverted. Then God says to Adam, look here, to 317. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You were king over all the earth, including the ground. Well, cursed is the ground now because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You're going to have to plow the crops now and suffer and And have pain and agony through it all. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you return. You're going to suffer as long as I let you live. And for dust you are, to dust you return. You're going to die, Adam. So let's see how Adam responds to God's curse and him being told he's going to die. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
You say, why would Adam honor his wife and rename her with a noble uh, quality life giver name? Because Adam believed the promise that the woman was going to be saved, produce godly offspring, even a savior someday who would crush Satan's head and truly give the quality of life to all those who trusted in him. Adam comforted himself after the curse by believing the promise and showing it through repentance and honoring his wife. Instead of blaming God and blaming her, he now embraced the promise and said, you will be Eve, quality life giver. And look what God does in 321. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. This is the first shed blood sacrifice. You don't get skin off an animal without killing it, without shedding its blood. And it's amazing, this picture. Remember, friends, the the Bible teaches that when you trust in Jesus, all of your sins are credited to his spiritual bank account. He paid for them on the cross. And all of his perfect, obedient life is credited to your spiritual bank account. And it covers you like a white, perfect, righteous wardrobe. And it's all through faith. Wow. Our sins go to him, his spiritual bank account, through faith. His righteousness comes to us through faith. And we're declared saved, justified, both not guilty and righteous in his sight. So right here we see the first picture. The lamb was slain and had its blood shed. All of the sin of Adam and Eve placed on the lamb's head. And the clothing, the Lord God clothed them with the garments of skin. Picturing Christ's perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience, being credited to their spiritual bank account. Clothing them, wrapping around them, comforting them. No longer are they trying to get saved by human works, fig leaves. But now they're saved through trusting in God's promised Redeemer to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You say, Pastor Jimbo, how do you know that that was the beginning of the sacrificial system? It doesn't say that. Be patient with me. Turn to chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4 in verse mm, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. The two children, first two sons recorded of Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel. Cain brought some fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. That's what he did for work. He was a farmer. But Abel brought, help me, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Abel brought shed blood. And not just shed blood, but fat portions. Like the Levitical law would later say, all the fat is the Lord's. And firstborn, like the Levitical law would say, all the firstborn are the Lord's already. Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. 
And then in Hebrews, just write it down, please. Chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Remember, faith and the obedience that comes from faith doesn't come from just believing anything. It comes from believing God's revealed word and leaning on it and obeying it with the obedience that comes from faith. Faith comes from hearing the message. Help me. The message is heard through the word of Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. You say, okay, well, that's one case where we see that the shed blood sacrificial system was already instituted by God. Let's see another. Let's go forward to uh, chapter 8 of Genesis. Again, right at the very beginning, friends. Right after Noah, after, after a year on the ark, with all the stinky animals and hard work, being closed up for a year in the ark plus, What's the first thing Noah did in Genesis 8, 20, when he came off the ark? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the, here we go, clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. God was pleased with it. Because it was from the obedience that comes from Faith. And if we go forward, you're going to see that Abraham brought shed blood. Isaac brought shed blood. Jacob brought shed blood. Then later, God instituted the sacrificial system uh, for the uh, Aaronic priesthood officially. And wrote it down, praise the Lord. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 9. So you see, it's always been this way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Someone or something had to die to satisfy. Here's the issue. God's offended justice. Our sin against a holy, infinitely glorious God. God is unlimited in his, in his holiness, in his majesty, in his honor. Infinite means unlimited. God is infinitely holy and majestic and honorable. And when we sin against God, it is infinitely offensive to God's justice. Therefore, God says... That my justice has to be satisfied. And God says in Genesis 3.15, it will be someday. By the seed of the woman, who's a he who will crush Satan's head. And God says, here's a type or a picture of that in the innocent lamb. Wow. The shed blood sacrificial system continued all throughout the Old Testament. 
It continued, and it was uh, so prolific at times that Solomon, when he actually consecrated the temple, had the priests sacrifice over a hundred thousand animals, clean animals. There were hundreds of thousands, maybe millions over the 1,500 years the, the, of the Levitical priesthood. And before that, when God instituted right after the fall, just imagine how many shed blood sacrifices there have been offered by faith in the Old Testament. Well, I want to ask, what, what did all these animals picture and why were they so important to be brought? And I mean, they're, they're animals. They're just animals. Okay, clean animals that God said. Well, let's look. Let's go back to Hebrews. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, help me, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with what? Better sacrifices than these. Ah, look at that. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. All those shed blood sacrifices, those animals in the Old Testament that were types and pictures of God's future promised one that he kept promising would come, then the Son of God came. Became a man, became incarnate through the womb of the virgin maid. He lived the perfectly obedient, righteous life. Never sinned. He kept saying to the Pharisees, tell me of my sin. Tell me who has accused me of any sin. No one had anything on him. He went to the cross. He allowed himself to be taken to the cross. And while he was on the cross, God the Father poured down his infinite wrath and justice and holy hatred and judgment on Jesus Christ's body and soul for six hours. Jesus' humanity, which experienced the presence of the Father, his conscious presence, his whole life, all he experienced was the Heavenly Father's wrath and holy hatred and judgment. Because all of our sin was placed on his spiritual bank account. And God the Father looked at him as if he had all those sins himself, though he was perfect. He suffered the weight of the wrath of God. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died because the wage of sin is death. And he took our death. He rose from the grave, which we're going to be celebrating on Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. 
He rose from the grave. Hallelujah. And appeared to his disciples and 500 others. For 40 days and 40 nights before he ascended to the throne. Sent the Holy Spirit to finish the New Testament. And to give us the glorious word of God. To trust him. His payment, his shed blood on the cross was of infinite value because he is the God-man. Now let's go forward with, uh, we're going to close on this and see what we could take for our own walks on this. 25, 9.25, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Here we go. When Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those or waiting for him. Christ is coming back. He's coming back to bring us to glory, saints. But that's not the only reason he's coming back. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back to bring great wrath and judgment upon those who reject the Father's good gift, who reject him who's pushed away the spirit their whole lives and deserve God's judgment as we do. But by the grace of God, there go we. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And you say, well, okay, I understand the gospel now. I understand that God's justice is infinitely offended and only an infinitely valuable person could satisfy that offended justice. In my place. So I must trust him. I must trust him so much. That if God asks me. Why should I let you into my kingdom. If I die right now. My only answer would be. Because of Jesus. His obedience. I'm trusting his righteousness father. His atonement for my sins. I'm trusting Jesus' paper for my sin father. As a matter of fact. Please don't talk to me. Talk to my defense attorney. Amen. Your faith has to be in Christ, not in yourself. If you're trusting in your good works, then you don't believe without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. You don't believe in Christ's atonement that paid your price completely. But you might keep coming back to the idea, yeah, but Pastor Jimbo, all those animals, there was hundreds of thousands of innocent lambs and sheep and Bulls that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. Why? Why? Let's look. We're going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that were coming. Not the realities themselves. For this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Catch that? 
Those shed blood sacrifices could never make anybody perfect. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have been guilty, have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because, look here, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You say again, Pastor Jumbo, that's why I'm asking. Why do they even have to be done? Let's keep going. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Burnt offerings, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, now this is Jesus talking, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll in the Old Testament. I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus said, I'm coming, here I am. And then explain, it explains it. It explains the Old Testament shed blood sacrifices and Christ's coming, how they had to do with each other. First he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor will you please with them. What does he mean by that? Nor was your justice fully pleased and satisfied. Though the law required them to be made. Well, why then? Look what he says. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, the animal sacrifices, to establish the second, the coming of the person of Jesus Christ. And by that will, we have been made holy, look here, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's done. It is finished, he says. Wow. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Look at here, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus has, if you're trusting Jesus, all of your sin has been credited to his account. Through your faith, you've been declared not guilty forever. That's what the Bible teaches. We'll stand before him blameless without fault, the Bible teaches. And if you're trusting Jesus, all of his perfect righteousness has been credited to your spiritual bank account. God sees you through faith. God sees you as if you fulfilled the whole law because you're trusting not in yourself, but in Jesus. So he has legally made perfect forever through faith those who are being made holy, growing in sanctification. So let's apply that. Let's... Your sins, legally, you've been declared justified in God's sight if you're a Christian today. You've been declared both not guilty and righteous, justified forever. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. However, 
That's a legal reality, right, guys? However, practically, we struggle. Because though our hearts have been born again, bent toward God now, we're still in these bodies of death. We still struggle with instincts and appetites and bodily passions and lusts that wage war against the law of our minds. Our bodies are not glorified, and their powers that wage war against the law of our minds, as Paul says, are not glorified yet. But, and this is our application today, but as we grow closer to our Savior, as we get to know Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus, as this book tells us in chapter 12, verse 2, as we get to know him, as Second Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we get to know our Lord and Savior more and more and more, We're going to love him more. (laughs) And the more you love him, the more you're going to trust and enjoy him. And the more you're going to follow and glorify him. So my, my application today for myself and for you is commune with Jesus. Commune with your great high priest who ever lives to intercede for you. He wants to, by his spirit... Transform you from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. But he does this as we look upon his face in the gospel. Can I get an amen? Let us pray. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord Jesus, we are guilty of sinning against you, the Father, the Spirit, the whole Godhead. Yet we rejoice and trust in your infinitely sufficient atonement, your ever-living intercession and high priestly work on our behalf. Thank you that though Satan is trying to accuse us day and night, You, Lord Jesus, are our defense attorney. You are our great high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. Lord, we trust you. And Lord, not only that, but you are exalted to the throne of God. And God placed all things under your feet and appointed you to be head over everything for the church. So thank you for not just your person, but your offices as prophet, priest, and king. Thank you that your offices don't clash or... Or, or bang against each other. They flow perfectly and work together in harmony. You're so good, Lord. Lord, help us all get to know you better through your word and commune with you. And, and actually worship you, Lord. And praise you for who you are and what you've done. And the fact that you are our life, Lord. We love you. Lord, hear our hearts and change us, Jesus, by your spirit from glory to glory. Amen.